If you're visiting here this morning, you're very welcome. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. Hope you've got a good sense of celebration as we've been uh, looking at the baptisms. Um, I'm going to speak for literally no more than 25 minutes, all right? So uh, I'm not going to be speaking long, but I'm just going to bring uh, something from the Bible which will hopefully encourage us this morning and explain a little bit more about why we're here and what we believe. Um, This morning we're continuing our new series in the book of Exodus. We started it last week. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so easy for you to find it. And the story of Exodus centers on a guy called Moses, who you may well have heard of. Really famous character. It focuses on a guy called Moses and some people called the Israelites, who in the Bible are known as the people of God. And today's talk is from Exodus 3, and it's a really famous story about Moses coming face to face with God and having a conversation with God. And before we go into it, I just want to start with a question straight away, all right? If you could be face to face with God this morning, if you could be speaking to God this morning in here, what would you expect him to say to you? All right, so if you could speak to God this morning, what would you expect him to say to you? Maybe that's something you can think about as we go through this morning. Now, just to introduce our passage before I read it, we've got our friend Moses here in the story. Now, you might have heard of Moses. Moses is the baby that was found floating down the River Nile in the basket. You might know that story, right? My kids love that story in the children's Bibles. They always ask me to read the one about the floating baby. Okay, (laughs) Moses is the floating baby, but in our story now, he's no longer a floating baby or a floating anything. He's actually an 80-year-old man, okay? So this baby is now an 80-year-old man living out in the desert in the middle of nowhere looking after his father-in-law's sheep. That is not very impressive, is it? Looking after his father-in-law's sheep in the middle of nowhere. If you ever feel like your life or your job is insignificant, imagine poor Moses looking after his father-in-law's sheep. All right. So let's start reading this together. We're from Exodus 3, and we're starting in verse 1. The words will be on the screen behind me. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not but burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when, God, uh, and when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let's skip to verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Excellent. Okay. 
So this morning, all right, I want to think about God, and we're just going to look at three things that we can learn about God from this passage. And I don't know what your experience of God is. I don't know if you even believe in God or what your thoughts are around it, but can you stick with me this morning, all right? We're going to look at just three things and then uh, see what we can learn. We can cope with that, can't we? We can cope with three things together. Excellent. Okay. First thing we're going to look at then is he is the God of the everyday. All right, he's the God of the everyday. See, as I said earlier, Moses was living a pretty ordinary life at this point. If you'd asked any first century Jew who the greatest person who ever lived was, they would almost certainly tell you it was Moses. Moses uh, lived and, and grew up in an Egyptian palace surrounded by royalty and wealth. But at this point in the story, things were pretty different. That felt like a lifetime ago. As I said earlier, at this stage, Moses was just an ordinary guy doing an ordinary job out in the desert. He was just a shepherd. And the point is that Moses was doing a pretty mundane job, and this was just a pretty mundane, everyday day for him. And sometimes we think that God only shows up in the miraculous moments. Sometimes we expect God to appear in the most miraculous situations, and sometimes God does do that, but he doesn't always. In fact, more often than not, God will work in ordinary things that we don't expect. In fact, from my experience, God seems to work in the everyday, ordinary, mundane things if he really wants to grab your attention. Listen, you might be sitting there this morning and you aren't in the midst of a crisis. Your life is actually pretty okay. You feel great this morning. Life's just ticking along nicely. Quite often it's in these moments that God wants to speak to you. I mean, let me share a quick story with you. Now, this isn't theologically true, all right, so don't quote me on this one, all right? You've got to put that disclaimer out there. But the story goes that there was a man drowning at sea, okay? He fell out of his boat and he was drowning. And he's there swimming in the water and he says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Send a miracle. I trust you for a miracle that you're going to save me. And a little rowing boat comes along. And the guys on the boat, they throw off a life jacket and say, grab hold of the life jacket, we'll save you. And the man in the water says, no, 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 God will save me. I'm believing in God, I'm trusting for a miracle. So the sailboat goes on. And then a big ship comes along and they let down the lifeboat and they say, climb on the lifeboat, we'll save you. And the man says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God. God will save me, he's going to send a miracle. So off the ship goes. And then a helicopter comes along next and lets down this ladder. And they say, climb on the ladder, we'll save you. And the man says, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for God. I'm trusting him for a miracle. So off the helicopter flies. Anyway, the man drowns in the water and he dies. <laughs> and he says to God, God, why on earth didn't you save me? I trusted you. I was waiting for a miracle. Why didn't you save me? And God says, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter, for goodness sake. What are you doing? <laughs> Listen, that's a daft example, but the thing is, the point is true. We can expect God to speak to us in miraculous ways, in huge signs, in mighty moments, but quite often God will speak to us and work in our lives in the day-to-day things, and that is why sometimes we can miss him. I wonder whether God might be wanting to speak to you this morning. I want to encourage you, rather than waiting for a big sign in the sky that says God is real, just look around and see what you've seen this morning. The stories that we heard, 
the songs that we sang, the lives that have been changed, does that all point towards a God who is alive? So, in our story, in the middle of the desert, Moses sees a bush on fire, all right? Now, me and Moses clearly have different responses to fire because uh, Moses, rather than going away from the fire, he walks towards the bush. Now, a general rule of life is when you see something on fire, you walk away from it, right? Moses doesn't. He walks towards the bush. And he realizes that rather than burning up, the bush just keeps on burning. And then from within the fiery bush, Moses hears the voice of God calling, Moses, Moses. Now, why does he say his name twice? I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. But God tells him, he says, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And this is important because it is God who makes the ground holy. It is God's presence that turned this dusty desert into a holy place. Listen, God comes into our mundane day-to-day lives and he makes them holy. It's God's presence that changes things. Listen, this building that we're in here, although we nearly own it, come on, exciting, I didn't hear a big enough cheer, this building we've got here, this isn't holy, this is just on Yarm Road in Stockton, there's nothing holy about Yarm Road in Stockton, is there? It's God's presence that makes this place holy. God's presence changes things. And God came into Moses' day-to-day after 40 years of obscurity and he catches his attention. And I'm wondering whether God wants to do that this morning. Whether you're a committed Christian, whether you're just visiting this morning, whether this is your first time in church for years and years, maybe God wants to capture your attention and do something on a random Sunday morning in March in the middle of your life. That's what I'm praying for this morning. All right, so we've got the, uh, the God of the everyday. That was our first point. The second point is that he is the God of the unsure. If we carry on with our story, God speaks to Moses from within the burning bush and he gives him an important task to do. Moses is to go and set the Israelite people free. He's to be the leader of the Israelite people. But then in verse 11, we see Moses' reaction. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should do it? And this is a common reaction, isn't it? We see it in a lot of kids' movies. I know because I I watch a lot of kids' movies all of the time. I've got children. And uh, you often get this insignificant character at the start who ends up becoming the hero of the story. It's a plot of most kids' films, isn't it? But before he becomes the hero, he has this moment where he says, who, me? Pick someone else. Pick someone better. Pick someone stronger. This is the moment that Moses was having. He was reluctant to accept his calling. He wasn't sure he was equipped. He wasn't sure that he could be the person God wanted him to be. And we all feel like that sometimes, don't we? We can feel like God won't use us because we're not confident enough. We're not clever enough. Our life isn't good enough. That's the conversation we often have. When I first became a Christian, I thought that I wasn't posh enough to come to church. I went into church and church, not this church, thankfully, but I went into church. I mean, I keep doing this. I keep offending you all. (laughs) I walked into church and everyone was middle class and I thought, I can't come here. 
to be a Christian must mean you have to be middle class. And we have this constant battle. We make excuses. It's really common. Listen, if you're sitting there this morning and you don't know God and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you're feeling like that this morning. I'm unsure about all of this. I'm not sure I could become a Christian. I'm not good enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not posh enough. Or the opposite of posh enough. Listen, God is the God of unsure people. We see that in this passage. And listen, we quite often use our insecurities and our flaws as a way of avoiding God's will for our lives. And that's what Moses was doing here. He was saying, who am I? Send someone else. I'm just Moses in the middle of nowhere. But let me tell you, the issue wasn't who Moses was, but it was about who was calling and commissioning him, right? This wasn't about Moses at all. Let me reassure you this morning, even if you don't know God, even if you don't feel like you could know God, he still wants to know you. He still has a plan and a purpose for your life, whether or not you feel equipped or good enough this morning. I want you to hear that, all right? He can make a huge difference working through you. It's not about you at all. It's about him. And just to say, by the way, if you are a Christian this morning, you might need to hear this too. Because it's not about God calling us um, because we're adequate, or even God making us adequate later on down the line. It's about God using us despite our inadequacies. God uses us despite of our flaws. He knows your flaws. He knows your failures. He knows every time you mess up. And guess what? He still wants to have a relationship with you. He still has plans for your life. He chooses to work in and through you. That's worth celebrating, right? God knew Moses' weaknesses, but he still chose to work through him. What an encouragement, hey? Excellent. All right, we've got the God of the... Who was listening? God of the everyday. And we've got the God of the... Unsure, you're still awake, that's good. I always wonder if you're still awake. The God of the everyday, the God of the unsure. The last thing I want to talk about is that we've got um, the God who is full stop. All right? The God who is full stop. See, in this, uh, in this interaction, Moses asks God what his name is. And he says, if people ask me who has sent me, what do I tell them? He was trying to get a handle on who he was talking to. And in Middle Eastern culture and in Bible times, um, names are actually very important. People are named after things which describe or define them. People's names almost give them a purpose and something to grow into. Children in the Bible are named prophetically with a name that they can grow into. In our culture, names don't quite have the same meaning, do they? That my name's Gavin. Do you know what that means? Nighthawk. Is that Nighthawk? My wife is called Haley. Do you know what that means? A hayfield, literally a place where hay grows. <laughs> we don't have the same emphasis on names in our culture, do we? We uh, we don't. But in this passage, the name God uses to describe Himself as is important. He says, "I am who I am." He says, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he's doing is he's making it personal to Moses. Because quite often we can see God as this vague force, someone who's distant and unknowable. 
and it can feel a little bit cold and impersonal. But when we read this passage, we realize that God is, in fact, knowable. And we can all be in his presence. That has to change something, right? If you aren't a Christian this morning, I want to encourage you that you can know God personally. He isn't just a philosophical concept. He's not just an idea or a force. He's a person that you can know, and you can know him this morning. I believe that. All right, look again at the story, okay? So Moses sees a bush on fire. In fact, he doesn't just see a bush on fire, he sees a talking bush on fire, <laughs> all right? But you know what's really funny about this? Neither of those things seem to faze him, all right? He drops to his knees in awe and wonder when he hears the name of God. Did you notice that? He's unfazed by a talking, burning bush, but when he hears the name of God, it's the realisation of that which leaves him face down in awe and wonder. And that's really important. You might know of a Christian author called Pete Gregg. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, uh, which uh, kind of takes place across the world. And he tells a story about how when he was a teenager, him and some of his friends became Christians. And they decided what they would do is gather together and have a prayer meeting, which I love, by the way. I wish more teenagers would do that. All right, get together and have a prayer meeting. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so what they do is, uh, Pete, Greg, and his friends, they gather together in Pete's mum's shed, and they start praying. And things start happening. People start becoming Christians, and more people join them. And Pete tells a story about one day they were gathered in his mum's shed, and one of the guys from school comes in, and he's there in the meeting, and suddenly halfway through, he runs out of the shed. And Pete chases after him, and he says, yeah, well, what's going on, mate? What's happening? And he says, God is in your mum's shed. And Pete's playing it cool. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, God's everywhere. And this guy's like, no, 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 you don't get me. God is in your mum's shed. Actual God is in your mum's shed. He has this moment where he's like, wow, God is real. God is alive. And that changes everything. You might have experienced that this morning. You might have come here this morning not knowing what you believe. And midway through, you thought, oh, my goodness, God is real. I want to encourage you, if you've had that moment this morning, to go with it. Go with it. That moment of God is real is a really important one. It's a really important moment. Okay, how are we doing? We all right? Still awake? Okay, listen, I'm going to get theological for a second, okay? Can I do that? If you're just visiting us here this morning or you're not part of church, you've got to bear with me, all right? But if we want to build our lives on the Bible, okay, if we believe this is something to build our lives on, we've got to try and understand it, right? We've got to try and understand what it means. So I'm going to go theological for a second. Bear with me. Okay, but in verse 15, God describes himself as the Lord. And this is the most common word used for God in the Bible. Lord or Yahweh is used 6,800 times in the Bible. And uh, I've got Val to help me with this, so if you can't see, I'm blaming Val, okay? But Yahweh in the Bible, okay, is just four letters in the Hebrew, okay? Y-H-W-H. And it's got no vowels in it, so it's really difficult to say, Y-H-W-H. But it translates in our English Bibles as the Lord, and always in capital letters, okay? And Yahweh is used to describe God more than any other word in the Bible, all right? 
Now, let me get a little bit more technical with you, okay? You're still with me. In our Bible, the word Lord in capital letters is Yahweh, but we also um, have Lord in lowercase letters, okay? Got Lord in lowercase letters. And this is important because the lowercase letters don't describe God's name, but describe who God is, all right? So Yahweh is God's name, but Lord, the Hebrew word is Adonai, is God's office or God's position or God's title. Does that make sense? Let me help you out a second, okay? So sometimes we read in the Bible, Psalm 8, for example, it says, O Lord, my Lord, how awesome is your name. It's saying, O Yahweh, our master, how awesome is your name. Or it might be saying, O Charles, our king. O Elizabeth, our queen. Do you see the difference, right? We've got the name and we've got the title or the office, all right? And this is really important because when we um, address God as Yahweh, our Lord, we're addressing him as a person and not just as a function, okay? The name Yahweh is a proper name. And this is important because it shapes how we talk to and how we talk of God, Here's my question to you this morning. When you think about God, is he a function, a position, or is he a person? Do you see God as a series of things that he can do, or is he personal to you? You see, if he's always master or Lord or Father, those are all good things, but it's not very personal. We need to see God as someone who is real and alive. Like, take my wife, for example, okay? Hayley is my wife, and she's also the mother of my children. Now, if I was to go home today when she comes in from work and say, oh, wife, oh, wife, how are you today? Or, oh, mother of my children, have you had a lovely day at work? It would just be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? I go and I call her Hayley because it's personal, because she's my wife. She's not just my wife. She's not just a mother, but she's also a person who I know and happen to love. My point is this, we need to remember that when we approach God, we approach a person that we can know. And it's a person that you can know today if you don't already. Yes, you should have awe and wonder, like Moses, like that guy running out of Pete's shed, but you should also know that he is personal to us, all right? If we get our view of God right, it'll change our relationship with him. All right, look, I'm nearly finished this morning. If I get the band back up, that'd be great. Um, But I just want to recap what we've looked at. We've looked at who God is. He's the God of the everyday. He's the God of the unsure, but he's also the God who is full stop. What I want to do is, before we finish, I want to go back to my original question from the beginning, all right? And in light of what we've learned about God today, I want to ask that question again. What would you expect God to say to you this morning? What would you expect God to say to you this morning? Maybe he'd want to grab your attention. Being the God of the everyday, he might want to interrupt this random Sunday in March and reveal himself to you. Being the God of the unsure, he might want to reassure you to trust him, even if you don't feel like you can, even if you don't feel like you're good enough or important enough, or even if your experience of church in the past has left you feeling unsure. Maybe God wants to encourage you and reassure you this morning. He's the God of the unsure. Or finally, being the God who is full stop, maybe he wants to leave you in awe and wonder this morning. 
Maybe he wants you to have that moment of, wow, God is real. I've got to worship him. I've got to be right with him. Maybe that's the reaction God wants you to have this morning. Listen, we've discussed a lot about God this morning, but one of the things that stands out for me more than anything is the fact that we can actually know God personally. I remember when I first heard that all those years ago, coming into church for the first time, it absolutely blew my mind. How can you know God personally? Well, to put it really simply, the Bible explains how God is holy and we are not. We do wrong things. We mess up all the times. We hurt people. We tell lies. We might not be the worst things in the world, but we're not perfect like God. And the Bible describes how we're separated from God because of our imperfections. Perfect and imperfect, they can't mix. But because God loves us, because he created us, he sent Jesus, who was perfect, who was God, but was also a person. And God sent Jesus to pay the price for all the wrong things that we do, to be a bridge between us and God. Jesus died the most horrific death on the cross. But three days later, he rose again. It's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. He defeated death. And because he did that, the Bible says he paid the price for all of the wrong things that we do wrong. And he makes a bridge between us and God. We can know God because of the person of Jesus. That's a gospel message, and it's a thing which changes lives. Listen, if you want to know more about Jesus this morning, we've got some books at the front called Why Jesus, which just explain a little bit about who he is, explain a little bit more about what I've just talked about, and also describe how you can come and know Jesus this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep this really simple, all right? In a second, the band are going to play. We're going to sing another song, and um, everyone's going to stand up and sing, all right? If you don't know God this morning, I want to encourage you to come and grab one of these books. We've got them at the front, at this side here and this side here. There'll be some guys at the front from the church who will just give you one of these books and would love to chat to you and pray with you if you'd be up for that, okay? Earlier on, Haley, before she got baptized, described a moment she came forward a few weeks ago and became a Christian. I'm not saying you have to do that this morning. I'm just saying take the step to grab one of these books and learn a little bit more about Jesus. All right? Why don't we all stand? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. And if you want to come in the front, please take that moment. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for lives transformed by your goodness, Lord. I thank you for each and every person who got baptised this morning who publicly acknowledged the difference that you made in their lives, Lord. Father, I thank you that you are the God of the everyday, Lord. You come and you interrupt our day-to-day lives because you are holy and you are important, Lord. Now I want to pray, would you come and interrupt some lives this morning, Lord? I thank you that you're the God of the unsure. I pray if anyone this morning is unsure that you would ever want to be in a relationship with them, I pray would you come and speak to them right now and bring reassurance that you are good and you are safe, Lord. And finally, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the God who is. Yes. We stand in awe and wonder of the good things that you've done, the good things that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray would you continue to work with us this morning. Amen. Let's worship.